Rejoice greatly, Zion. Your Messiah, your God, will reign forever. He is meek. He brings salvation as it is written. Our righteous deliverer comes riding on a colt, destroying the proud arrogance of those who will not cry. Bless the Lord, all you works of the Lord. Palm Sunday leads us into uh, the Passion of our Lord. It leads us into the period of the Holy Week. On Palm Sunday, um, we commemorate Christ's entry into Jerusalem in glory on a donkey, where the people accepted him and glorified him. Yet certain members of the official synagogue were already uneasy. And this is sort of foreboding for what is to come. Because he's coming in glory, yet in a few days, these same people are crying out, crucify him, crucify him. Palm Sunday, the entry of the Lord into Jerusalem, is immediately preceded by Lazarus Saturday, a major feast in its own right. The twin feasts of Lazarus Saturday and Palm Sunday mark the transition from Great Lent into Passion Week. These feasts convey a range of themes from hope at Christ's raising of Lazarus to exaltation at his triumphal entry into Jerusalem and to the poignant foreshadowing of his imminent crucifixion. All the whisperings among the hierarchy of the, uh, the Jews about this dangerous individual who threatened their positions really come to a climax with the raising of Lazarus. Lazarus Saturday, because it's right before Palm Sunday, suddenly you realize that it's instrumental in precipitating the events that led to the crucifixion. The resurrection of Lazarus uh, was given to us as the echo of Pascha that is yet to come, as the first fruit of that victory in which the, uh, the devil, our mortality, death itself, has been smashed. That is the, the resurrection of Lazarus. And right there, almost in, 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 in one line, is the next step, is this uh, triumphal, joyful, paschal uh, uh, feast of the entry of Christ in Jerusalem. Giving us before thy passion an assurance of the general resurrection, thou hast raised Lazarus from the dead, O Christ our God. Therefore, like the children, we also carry tokens of victory and cry to thee, the conqueror of death, Hosanna in the highest, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. In this brief interlude between Lent and Holy Week, clergy wear festal vestments and the temple is adorned with palm branches. In Antiochian churches, the acolytes carry palm branches during the entrances. In Russia, where palm trees are unknown, pussy willow replaced palms. Other traditions include bay leaves and flowers. Fish, oil, and wine are permitted on Palm Sunday. People receive something special in the church, take it home, and it's there during the week. Leaving the church with something tangible in your hand and bringing it home where you might put it by the icons helps to remind us. On Palm Sunday morning, a basket of palm fronds, 
each folded into the shape of a cross, is placed in front of the icon of Christ. The priest blesses them with a special prayer during Orthros, though today this prayer is often moved to the end of the divine liturgy. The crosses are then distributed to the faithful, who carry them home as a reminder of both Christ's majestic entrance and his passion and crucifixion. This tradition is directly related to the event of Christ's entry into Jerusalem, when the children lay down palm branches as he came into the city. As the following day is Holy Monday, the start of Holy Week, the leave-taking of Palm Sunday occurs that very evening. Being born upon a throne in heaven and upon a colt on the earth, O Christ God, you accepted the praise of the angels and the laudation of the children as they cried to you, Blessed is he that cometh to recall Adam. It's a history icon. It's telling us the story. Jesus riding in on a colt, the, the people gathered around him, placing palm branches and jackets and all these things as they would welcome any king or any triumphant uh, warrior into their city. And they're proclaiming, uh, you know, holy, 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 blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. An icon is, is composed in a very unique way. It's a kind of diagonal composition in which uh, the Jerusalem and on one side of that half of the icon, uh, and, then, and then the mountains and the group of the, group of the apostles following uh, Christ mounted uh, uh, on the donkey. And on the other side, of course, it's Jerusalem with its people standing with those palms. In fact, almost expressing that, that division between them uh, with that line, with the diagonal line. And in, in, out of which grows what? That tree, that famous tree. In fact, we should not discount that presence. In every icon, there always is a tree. Uh, uh, symbolically, what does that mean? What kind of other kind of tree do we remember uh, from scripture, from, from uh, traditional life of the church? Uh, we're a couple of trees in the book of Genesis. So in the one tree is, of course, that of knowledge of, of good and evil uh, and the tree that was given to us as uh, 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 contrary to what people think, very often given to us as an ultimate gift of creation. In our case, he was the fruit of the tree of life that is a cross. So that's why that tree is also the tree of the cross, the tree of life through which we receive salvation and eternal life. So that tree, that's why it's in the very center of the image. It's the very center. And it is dividing the Savior and his disciples from the rest of the world that were not necessarily looking for that kind of salvation but had something else for themselves in mind. But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant and said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have perfected praise? The chief priests and scribes were angered in part by the miracle of Lazarus's resurrection the day before. Evgeria was a nun from Western Europe who journeyed to Jerusalem in the late 4th century. 
The first known reference to a special celebration of Palm Sunday is found in her journal, indicating that this feast was observed quite early. In fact, a great deal of our knowledge regarding the Eastern Church's traditions and services from that era are from her journal. Christ came at a critical time in world history. The Romans had conquered the Hebrew nation and were keeping a tight rein on their actions. On the one hand, certain Jewish elements had acquiesced to their overlords. Others, including a group of patriots known as the Zealots, sought leadership to overthrow their Roman oppressors. Christ made many claims about himself during his earthly ministry. Some of these people mistook him for an earthly king and welcomed him as heir to the throne of David. Yet scripture tells us that Christ entered Jerusalem not on a noble war horse, but on a humble donkey. If the cheering crowds had been aware of their prophets, they might have remembered the words of the prophet Zechariah. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem! Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So we have now a public acknowledgement and acclamation of Jesus as Messiah. But for the people, it was their view of Messiah. And we have an interesting detail in the Gospel of John, which marks that Jesus was actually walking into Jerusalem. Okay? And only when the acclamation occurred by the public that he is King Messiah, then he finds a, uh, a colt or a donkey and uh, mounts it to march into Jerusalem uh, as fulfillment of the prophecy in Zechariah that this king will be a king of peace, which is uh, symbolic that he was actually correcting the popular view of Messiah. He was Messiah, he's accepting the acclamation, but he's showing by his action that he's going to be a Messiah that is coming to offer his, his life on the cross for uh, the salvation and reconciliation and, and the peace of God that will come upon mankind. But if Christ is not king of this world, what is he king of? In his exchange with Pilate he says, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight, so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Christ's words remind us that this life is fleeting, and that another reality lies beyond this one. The crowds in Jerusalem were looking for an earthly ruler. They did not have the vision to see that Jesus was pointing them to a heavenly kingdom. We must, in our own lives, uh, accept Christ it's nice of us to think that we are in the place of, you know, the children and the people glorifying Christ, but maybe oftentimes um, Christ messes up our plans, just like he was messing up the plans of the Pharisees and so forth. Looking at the hymnology of, um, and the gospel reading of Palm Sunday, um, it's a good reminder. The same crowds who were hailing Jesus as their Messiah, their anointed King, were calling for his crucifixion just a few days later. Moved by their own selfish desires, they abandoned him when he became a target of the authorities. Even his own disciples scattered under pressure, and Peter, who had promised to remain faithful, denied Christ three times before his crucifixion. 
Come, faithful, let us pass from one holy feast to another. Let us hasten from the palms and branches to the solemn celebration of Christ's saving passion. We shall see him voluntarily suffer for our sake. Let us offer him a fitting hymn of thanksgiving, fountain of tender mercy and haven of salvation. O Lord, glory to you. We too are weak. Faced with the challenge of oppression or even death, who among us could stand firm? And yet, in the 20th century alone, Tens of millions of faithful Christians have been martyred for their faith. Thankfully, we have a merciful and loving God who makes this promise. For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. As we leave the glory of Palm Sunday and enter the darkness of Holy Week, let us not abandon our Lord, but follow this King of glory, the Lord strong and mighty, by taking up our own crosses and bearing them with him. Palm Sunday says a lot about kingship and about leadership because Christ's triumphal procession into the city as king takes place on the foal of an ass, this very simple animal, it's very humble. And when the people go to exalt him, they lay down vegetation. And the patristic scholar Robin Darling Young, she says this visit vegetation symbolizes, first they're welcoming that he's a king, but it's also the same vegetation that would have been laid before a sacrificial animal on his way to the temple to be slaughtered. So that double meaning is right there, and it's very strong, and it's very powerful. And it's in every aspect of our lives that when we have the responsibility and the power, we also pay the price. When we get the glory, we also have the cross. When we have the blessing and the pleasure of marriage or of uh, priesthood, we also have all the responsibilities and difficulties that go with that. At the end of Holy Week, the glory of Christ's resurrection, reflected in the radiant, crowning feast of Great and Holy Pascha, beckons us to finish the toil of Great Lent. Although these presentations do not include it, Pascha is the Feast of Feasts, Every feast in the annual cycle points to the great celebration of Pascha. We find ourselves at the very end of Great Lent, uh, being fortified spiritually uh, to face the profound depth of what actually is we're about to witness. For us, uh, it's an opportunity as a church for our own part, collectively and personally, to reaffirm and celebrate again that Christ is our King, is our Savior. And of course, if He is our King and we are His subjects, we are supposed to follow Him and obey Him and honor Him. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. He is the judge of the heart's intentions and thoughts. Let no one treat His boundless love with presumption. But let us approach Christ in meekness and fear, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need.